pizza party at your house. I went just to check it out. 19 extra larges, what a shame. No one came, just us eating all alone. You said take the pizza home. No sense letting all this go to waste. So then I faced pizza all day and every day. This cheese round the clock is getting me blocked. And I sure don't care. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to J&K Presents. My name is Jerome Cusan. I'm, of course, the J in this uh, wonderful half of the podcast. What we have been doing over the course of the last couple of years is Cancel Too Soon, where we've discussed a lot of TV shows that have possibly been canceled too soon. Last month, we we discussed American Vandal Season 1. This month, we are discussing American Vandal Season 2, streaming on Netflix for now. Uh, as always, you should go back into the archives. So many archives to go back and listen to uh, with Kevin and myself. Uh, we have done Mars Investigator, where we discuss Veronica Mars. Real Bad, discussing Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, of course, so many uh, things with Cancelled Too Soon. Uh, we've also discussed Halt and Catch Fire. We've discussed the four seasons of Barry at this point. Individually for me, uh, you can check out what Brian and I are doing with Superhero Pantheon and Pantheon Plus. Uh, Kevin from Broadcast Depth, looking at Lost. Uh, he has also done Flooping the Pig and Kevin. I want you to uh, give us a little bit of a preview because my understanding is that Flooping the Pig will be making its return very soon to this here website, if not if it has not already done so. Well, it probably won't have done so by now, but by the time you listen to this, San Diego Comic-Con will have happened and they're premiering the Fiona and Cake spinoff show that has been at least discussed maybe even pre-pandemic. And they're apparently premiering it there. It was, it was sorry. It was announced in August of 2021. It should be coming out in the fall. And yeah, the plan is for myself, Brad, and Justin to get back together to discuss that show. Um, it's hasn't been revealed how many episodes there are of it as of yet, but uh, in in some capacity for at least a, a couple of episodes, the the three of us will get back together and discuss that whenever is released on Max. Absolutely, you can also check out Kevin Ford's wrestling reviews at KevinFord.net as well. And those are all the plugs that I have for this here episode. So let us discuss American Vandal Season 2. I uh, I made the specific choice uh, to separate Seasons 1 and 2. Because I think, you know, with the, with the timing, maybe we could have done both seasons in an episode. But I really wanted to give both of them justice. And Kevin, I have to tell you, after watching Season 2 in its totality, I am extremely glad that I made this choice. Because... I think there are elements of season two that are are similar, but overall, just from a thematic standpoint, in terms of uh, kind of where what it's reaching for, I am very glad that we separated these two because uh, season two has a lot of ambition. It has a lot of things on its mind. I'm not sure if it's totally successful, but I think season two kind of deserves its own shine, so to speak. I agree with that. I also just think like, I mean, it's the, the, its benefit is that each season is its own self-contained story. So you could watch season one, never see season two and be okay. You can watch season two without seeing season one and be okay. I think you get more if you watch them both just because you'll know more about uh, the the film crew. But yeah, they, and they also feel they're very differently done. You know, the, the way it's sort of, it goes about solving its crimes are the same, but 
it, it, it does have a different feel to it. It's a completely different state. Uh, there isn't that personal connection. And so it's a very interesting vibe. And, and also it's just very two distinct cases that it would have been hard to sort of talk about intertwining. So I'm glad we, we separated them as well. So before we get into it, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about uh, in terms of like other chatter. Last month, we talked about some of the other podcasts and docu-series that this is kind of borrowing from. I think this month, I just want to touch on a couple of, you know, things that I think definitely uh, are, are good to think about in terms of prepping for season two. I think there's there's a couple of other things. I think catfishing, as as ubiquitous as the the term catfishing has become, it is wild to me that really the documentary Catfish only came out in like the early 2010s. And I I only learned about that documentary because of Kevin Smith of all people. And it's just funny how catfishing has just become so accepted in, as a term. And like everybody knows what this word means. And obviously there's, you know, there's been the documentary, there's been the MTV show. But catfishing as a concept is just so accepted as a term i mean people don't like to be catfished but it's definitely something that's happened in this online world yeah i mean i i guess i didn't see it as related to the election so to speak but just how much social media has boomed and how it can affect you know people's people's interpersonal lives in such a way and how different your life on the outside can be versus who you are online and how you know, it's easy to prey on the and manipulate those who are more mentally vulnerable. So it's it's a very interesting case study in that regard, especially with high schoolers, who all of them in in their own separate ways are are all very vulnerable um, and culpable to stuff like this. So that was an interesting study to see because, like you know, with with American Vandal, the, the first season, you would see the reactions to the documentary itself, but here you're seeing how social media played a role in the 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 crimes perpetrated itself definitely and there's also one more situation that i think this that this harkens back to do you do you know about the monte teo situation i don't like off uh, that name rings a bell and i'm sure once you tell me about it, i'll remember but no i don't so there is a funny enough there is a netflix uh documentary about the Monte Teo situation, but the situation is this. Monte Teo was a linebacker uh, for Notre Dame football, and when he was on that team, he was touted as a possible first-round draft pick for the National Football League, but Notre Dame was also really good, and they got into uh, a national championship game the year uh, that uh, one of the years that Monte Teo was there. Monte Teo uh, was very, is, it comes from a very religious family, and uh, he befriended who he thought was a young woman living in Hawaii. And one of the most famous stories from Monte Teo's experience at Notre Dame was the death of his grandmother. His grandmother's real, by the way. This is not this is not the catfish part of the story. But his girl, his quote unquote girlfriend also died on the same day. So this was turned into a really big deal by the media. The media, of course, did not do any of their jurisprudence, shockingly, and they didn't perhaps examine and they just took for granted uh, that Monte Teo was telling the truth about his girlfriend. Um, but the reality is, is that a, a person uh, who identified as male at that time has since transitioned uh, and now identifies as female. So uh, we have a, a faked death and uh, this really 
hurt Monte Teo's career and people were kind of making fun of him. And there was a lot of critiques of the journalism communities uh, because Deadspin, a sports website, uh, kind of did a lot of the reporting and figuring out like what was actually going on. And uh, it is an absolutely insane story. And one of the earliest instances of somebody famous being catfished it has since happened elsewhere, but this is one of the most famous cases. And of course, because we are a deeply bitter and cynical society, there have been tons of jokes about Monte Teo and his girlfriend when it's like him and, an em- and just in an empty photo. And yeah, so that's that's the situation. Is this ringing a bell? Vaguely. Fair enough. I think that what, when, when, I, when we're addressing the Demarcus Tillman situation as part of American Vandal Season 2, that's, that's definitely definitely what I was thinking of because even though DeMarcus Tillman is playing basketball he is also regarded as like this highly touted athlete possible NBA first round draft pick and uh yeah I definitely made the connection there and yeah it's just I think this season definitely is is uh is more ambitious and uh, there's a lot more cast of characters and Kevin I I swear to god I did not choose this season because one of the antagonists is named Kevin I don't believe you. I mean, I'm sorry it keeps happening, man, but there's there's not a lot of Jeromes out there and they're not, not they're not evil, you know? Well, maybe not on television shows. Ouch. Um, but yes, uh, so I think what this season does, I I think it moves kind of beyond this idea of parody and deconstruction and um, really examines the way that social media changes who we are and changes our relationships, and I know you mentioned this a little bit. Now, in some ways, we are more connected than ever, but I think there is a lot more loneliness because of just how connected we are, and it's created this this strange dichotomy. And I think people, and I think you're seeing this even more now, people putting forth this persona on Instagram or TikTok or whatever their social media platform of choice is, and trying to do that instead of being like maybe a more authentic version of who they are. And again, after watching this season, I am just so glad that I never had social media in high school. And I know we've, we said this last month, but I think this really underlined just how great it was to not go to high school during the era of social media. No doubt. I definitely had those same thoughts, but I also like too, that it shows how social media isn't a thing that like, uh, only the the kids who are unpopular can get sucked into and uh, churned out and use that as an outlet. It's like all different types of people from teachers to athletes who are extremely popular to the weird kids to, you know, uh, you know, to outcast everybody in some respect uses social media in different ways. And everybody has their own vulnerabilities and outlets, no matter what you're your high school status is or life status is or, you know, a million other different things you can think about demographics wise or what have you. Everybody is affected in different ways. And I like that it's all very different people that uh, the turd burglar in the show was able to target. It wasn't just like the same type of person over and over again. Everybody was uh, had the chance to be uh, affected by what was going on. And I, and I really liked that. So, of course, we uh, the other thing is that, yes, there is this major incident referred to as the brownout. I, again, want to point out just how incredible the titles are. Every title is so good. And 
the way that it pays off, the way the idea of using actual fecal matter uh, is used to just really bring the whole season together, I think it's it's so impressive because I think you start off again with this idea of like drawing the dicks is kind of an inherently funny idea. This one also, you know, I think people can go up and down on poop humor, poop humor a little, little bit more, but. Man, just again, the first title is the brownout. The second one is number two. I mean, it's just, yeah. Anything, anything, anything to say about the titles before we get into uh, the season itself? Well, the titles are great, but I kind of think what's what's interesting is that the dicks in and season one were very much played for laughs. But like, I never felt like the the poop stuff in this was played for like heavy laughs. Like, and I think that's what made the 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 season more interesting too. Is that you know, vandalizing a bunch of cars with spray paint is obviously a bad thing, but like attacking people's intestinal tracts and like and 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 it, and it wasn't like they were playing like people, you know, shitting themselves or having to like shit in trash cans or on the floors like humor. It was pretty d- grim seeing all that that come to be. Uh, so I think that that slant on it was actually more interesting to me because like, yeah, there's. There's certain things in certain footage you can see where it where it's funny just because, you know, I find poop to be pretty funny. But it 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 it, it is treated as this very like ghastly situation. And I do ghastly, think it is more extreme. That's ghastly, well done. Yes. But yeah, I do think it is it is definitely more extreme than just when you're when you're messing with people's literal bodies. That is more extreme to me than uh, you know, spray painting dicks on that. And even just getting people, you know poop splattered all over them is uh very scarring like the 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 dicks thing is embarrassing but you know you can take that to a body shop and get it fixed it is probably pretty emotionally scarring to get shit splattered all over when you're not expecting it or to shit your pants in front of all your your peers yeah i mean it's 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 this is a pretty traumatic thing that could happen and i think the fact that they're coding this at a catholic high school instead of a public school, I think, makes a difference. We are in Bellevue, Washington, as opposed to a school in Southern California. So I think they're clearly differentiating the the setting, but also kind of changing the dynamics a little bit. And I think that's a good thing. There's a lot more characters, there's a lot more talking heads throughout. But essentially, uh, somebody, uh, quote unquote, poisoned the lemonade. And because of this, that's why everybody was kind of a uh, pooping themselves and uh, trying to go to the bathroom and not always being successful. And uh, it is apparently the, the doings of the uh, doings. My God, there's just, it's just, this is just going to keep happening. Kevin, um, the turd burglar is uh, the person behind this has a fake Instagram account, claims responsibility for it. And uh, allegedly um, this, uh, one of the students, Kevin McLean, Uh, is the committer of this crime as accused by his best friend. And um, one of Kevin's other friends, Chloe Lyman, within the context of the show, is the one that has gotten the filmmakers to come to Bellevue to uh, uh, film a docuseries just like they did for season one at their own school. But it is worth pointing out that that the filmmakers do not have any personal connections. They do not really form any personal connections connections do you think anything was lost by sam and peter not really being as connected to this school like they were in season one yes i do i it made it like a little less interesting to me 
uh, and just because there wasn't those personal connections, they can't use their own knowledge base of the high school and the people there. And they make their own judgments because they themselves have biases and and opinions on things where this is them being kind of treated as investigators. And it is kind of funny because they're just documentarians who made this documentary about their own high school and got to Netflix and someone brought them there. And for whatever reason, the school agreed to let them do this. But it's like, why wasn't this a police investigation? Why wasn't it this? Why wasn't it that? So it, it made me question that a little bit. But, it, you know, I, and then they're also relying just on other people's accounts and stuff like that. So it is interesting. There is something interesting to them being not having their own biases and just being objective people who want to solve this. Uh, but they themselves kind of like I think, you know, you, you get the sense in season one that Peter wanted to. He did not really think the the person drew the dicks and he had something to go with there. And I think he doesn't get personally attached to him. But I do think there is at least a part of him who wants to prove Kevin's innocence at some point in the show as well. So there's a little bit of that there. But I also don't know that they were like it was weird. I feel like they weren't featured almost at all in like the first couple of episodes. And they come in a little later at the end. So I do feel like there was something lost with them just being objective documentarians rather than having their own little, you know, their personal lives invested in this. And because it also, I think what made that interesting is, is there, what lines are they crossing? What's going to get them in trouble? What's going to affect them if they push too far, whether it be with a student or a teacher or something else we're here. I mean, worse. The, I mean, I, I don't know what the worst could have been. And they just get told to stop shooting their documentary. So, yeah, I do think there was something a loss to it, to not being a personal stake. What did you think? I definitely think that something was lost. But I think at this point, if you after season one, I think you're coming into this and you have to break a new season. And now is when you're thinking about, OK, is this just going to be a two season show or is this going to be? something where we're going to do this in perpetuity or we're going to do more seasons. And I think in order to do more seasons, I think you have to sacrifice uh, that angle of it. And I think it is both unfortunate, but it's also reasonable that in order to continue doing this show long-term, unfortunately they did not get to do that, but I, I see the logic of, okay, we need to create some distance because we want each season to be able to stand on its own. So I think that's, I, th- I, again, I don't know that for a fact, but that's that's my logical take on it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think they can't be in high school forever. Like, they, they couldn't just, or if they did, it would have to basically be like one season per year of academia. But how far would, would the administration really have let them continue doing it, like, realistically? Uh, that's something to consider. Could they have done something with like a college? I mean, that would have been way harder, I think, logistically from high school to a college as well. So, yeah, there's a lot to get there. There is something to that of like, if we're going to continue this into perpetuity, how do we make that happen? And it makes me wonder, like, if they had gone past two seasons, there may have been a struggle to do that at some point. Yes. And I'm sure we will get into uh, whether we think this is canceled too soon a little bit later, but we'll save that for the end So as the investigation continues, uh, again, we get a lot more interviewing of students. We get uh, the introduction of of Kevin's grandmother, uh, who is counteracting the uh, the accusations against her her grandson. And 
Uh, that's a lot of what episode one is. Episode two, fittingly called again, number two. Uh, we have the filmmakers visit Kevin uh, while he is at home, and they're slowly figuring out like what the actual laxative was. Uh, they also go over some of the incidents, other incidents, poop-related incidents. Uh, Kevin, I want to know uh, which was better. Was it the poop pinata or the shit launcher? I... What was better in terms of a prank or... What was better in terms of a prank and uh, which one... I mean, to me, I think the shit launcher is is the more repulsive of the two, but would you say it's the better uh, gag of the two? I, I feel like poop pinata is more unexpected. Uh, and just... It, and it's... I think there's also something like being confined to a small classroom versus an auditorium of people that like the pep rally is taking place and that makes it a little more harrowing in some respects so if if i'll answer it this way if i had to be victim of one of the two would probably be the it might be the shit launcher i don't know i bet that hurt more absolutely the other question that i have is i want to know the the real writers and directors what english teacher hurt them because (laughs) the first season the english teacher was a goofball and just a complete ass and in this season uh, she is uh, very self-obsessed with Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, does, I, I'm not going to say, I mean, I, I, the kind of <laughs> racism that is, like, she's the type of person who would say she would vote for Obama for a third term. That is a very specific <laughs> kind of, like, white liberalism. Yes. Again, the type of person that has an NPR, like, has an NPR tote bag or, like, has a collection of NPR tote bags. So, yeah, I just, I don't know, man, like as an English teacher, I just, I want to know who hurt them. I do like that they took a different approach with them as opposed, like they didn't just make the cool uh, teacher again. And he was a history teacher too, wasn't he? He may have been, but I think I he mean, was. Yeah. So I don't know they particularly picked on all English teachers in both seasons, but I will say I I like to think that her experience in this show directly led her to instead joining the FBI. And uh, that's where Barry picks off, picks up. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, I'm glad that you noticed that because I, I definitely uh, picked up, picked up on that in this viewing. And uh, it's great to see so many of these uh, these actors getting to do other and bigger things. Speaking of doing bigger things, uh, we get the introduction of Demarcus Tillman towards the end of the episode as Chloe, uh, Kevin McLean's friend, uh, notices uh, that Demarcus has a turd burglar card, possibly. It may also be a Frogert card, which <laughs> we can get into that in a minute. But That's so good. Uh, I mean, it's it's so good. I mean, you could absolutely see a Frogert store just completely being oblivious to the fact that it looks like shit. Uh, you, could, you could definitely see that. 1,000%. Uh, so Demarcus Tillman is played by Melvin Gregg. He has been in other things. Uh, he was recently in the film The Blackening, which you may or may not have seen this past summer, but I think it was a, it was a very good comedy. So it was also good to see Melvin Gregg uh, doing bigger and better things. And I, I have to say, I don't think we get a, as good of a performance in season one, but in terms of performance, in terms of nailing a character, uh, the Demarcus Tillman one is my favorite of the season. Agreed. And I actually was um, there's a podcast that I listen to every so often. Uh, Why won't you date me with Nicole Byer? 
And I saw that a guy named Melvin Gregg was on there. And in the description, it said, oh, American Vandal. And I thought, oh, you know what? I'll listen to this when whenever he's on it. And I saw you season two and I listened to it. And aside from them introing it in the beginning, they don't talk about American Vandal at all. Uh, I mean, it's not really it, it's the show isn't really about that, but they do talk about the blackening, which I know he, he had a heavy hand and was very proud of. And I've heard really good things about I would like to check it out. It's not streaming yet. Uh, strangely, like you still got to pay 20 bucks to watch it online. And I guess he also got a lot of fame. Like he was a, he was a person who got famous through vine and all that stuff and transitioned into a, a regular acting career, which is what he wanted to do anyways. Like he took acting classes and stuff like that. And uh, Vandal seems to be his breakout show. But so I don't know if, you know, I mean, the podcast was short. It's like 50 minutes. It's not really the the topic du jour to talk about like his career. It's not like an, an in-depth interview with him about that kind of stuff. But I did strike me as interesting that there just wasn't that much talk about it. Maybe just because Nicole Byer hadn't watched it and didn't know what to say <laughs> either. But uh, so who knows? But I thought he was he was fantastic in the show. Definitely my favorite part to watch. And I think in terms of like who DeMarcus is, I, I just love the the way that they characterize him. Like he is obviously very popular on campus. Uh, they they delve into the fact that he is a, a black student in a prim, primarily white campus. They dive into that a little bit, I think just enough to where I don't think it because I don't think that's necessarily what the document what the docuseries is intended to be about, but they definitely touch on it. Uh, with his relationship with the English teacher, which uh, she generously compares it to the blind side, which, um, you know, you don't want to do that. Uh, oh, my God. I howled, howled during that, scene, that, that, uh, that confessional. Have you her. have you ever seen the blind side? No, but I'm very I know what the story is in the movie and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty gross, but I think they play it for laughs extremely well. The fact that, you know, he is very much kind of the centerpiece of the school as a as a top flight athlete. And this introduces the idea of, you know, just what you are able to get away with as an athlete. Um, he is generally shown to be very popular. Um, treats everybody well, but I love the fact that the thing that I love so much about about DeMarcus is there are times that he seems to lack in self-awareness in, in what he's saying and he is he is very good at delivering backhanded compliments. Do you, do, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like he says something that on the surface might seem nice, but could also be seen as an insult. And I think that's a very specific type of character. And you're mentioning him becoming a star on Vine. I could definitely see that even more in his performance and just the way that he behaves. But I mean, for me, he just completely steals the show. And I, I don't know what it says about uh, the Kevin McLean performance, but even though he is like one of the main characters, it feels like he's only in about half of the episodes. And I don't know why that is, but in terms of uh, the actors, Travis Tro Travis Tope. And it just, it, it feels like that performance. I don't know. I, I never was sold on Kevin McLean as a character, just the affect that he took with his voice it felt much more cartoonish than anything in season one. I, yeah, I do agree with that. And with DeMarcus outside of that comment from the English teacher who here's a, here's a joke for you. Uh, she thinks she was the blind side, but really she was all about Steve. How's that for, how's that for a Sandra Bullock joke? Wow. You, you certainly went there, didn't you? 
Um, but aside from that, I don't feel like his race, it was more about him being an, a, a top athlete than it was his race in that both how he is more under a microscope than a lot of other students. Like there's comments or stuff that any, just like any civilian student could make and no one would care or give a second glance to, but because he's an athlete with potential and school and colleges are trying to recruit him. It feels like everyone's trying to tell him, though, don't say this, don't do that. Or, you know, things get blown out of proportion that for anyone else, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. And it's also just because you have friends who people want to be associated with him. His coach wants to be associated with him. He has his friend who is his handler, basically, that wants to be associated with him. Everybody wants to be his friend. It's like everybody wants a piece of him and he has to almost perform in a certain way rather than just be his genuine self. Because if you can't be your genuine self too much or else you might get in trouble and who knows your scholarship might get pulled or this or that. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot of expectations for a person when it's just like, man, I'm just good at basketball. And that's I, it, and so it's tough to like you can't just be a regular high school teenager and also be good at basketball. And that kind of stinks. And it's because you have all these expectations heaped on you and because other people tend to benefit or falter when you make because of your own actions and. That and I, and and so with all of that, I can see why he was driven to a social media outlet and why he feels like he can't be his genuine self. So that also to me was the most compelling story of anybody uh, on the show too. So in episode we three, we learned that Demarcus both has access uh, to the facilities to be able to commit these crimes, but he is also it is also shown in this episode. Uh, that there's a little bit of a history as another athlete had committed some form of sexual harassment uh, against a cheerleader at the school. So that definitely becomes a factor in episode three. And as they go uh, into episode four, there is the possibility of a fourth crime that took place in the teacher's lounge and an advent calendar somehow becomes involved, which I really liked. But this is also an episode that is important. And Kevin, I looked this up. So there is evidence of an incident that has a lot to do with an iOS glitch that caused uh, the letter I to be replaced with a question mark. Uh, And this does a good job of kind of narrowing the suspects down, because if you don't have the glitch, um, you would not be the turbo burglar. This is a real thing, Kevin. I looked this up. This was a real glitch that happened. And I, I have to give them a lot of credit for for making this a part of their series and nailing something uh, as historically accurate. Yeah. And I like too that, you know, on the same, on that same wavelength, like season two starts with them talking about how the, the, the documentary got famous on Vimeo or whatever, and then Netflix got it and became a show. And now they're getting a second season. That's also on Netflix and they have like the fake credits uh, associated with the show all that meta stuff and then including real life things like like the iOS glitch, all of that to me makes it a, a more immersive and fun experience that they just go with it. They address that it's a Netflix show. They address real life things. All of that to me makes it uh, a more it just it enhances the the viewing experience for me. And that's another great example of that. But apparently they did not hit the right taste clusters, unfortunately. Those damn taste clusters. Well, with you know what? It feels like some days like. Some of these streaming services are like Fox with how quickly they change things. So it's like, what are the right taste clusters in 2023 or 2018, whenever this was? 
That is a, that is a whole other conversation, but I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of that at the end here. Uh, they also investigate three other individual students, uh, Drew, Pankratz, Jenna Hawthorne, and Paul Schoenberger. They all seem to have some some good alibis and may not have committed the crimes, but I just think it's so fascinating to me how the scope of this is being expanded so much to include so many other characters, so many other possible suspects that I that's another reason they they took out the personal angle because there's just so much to this season. The, I, I do like the fact that episodes are still only 30 to 35 minutes, but in terms of the scope, you're just getting introduced to all, all of these characters. And uh, Kevin, as you're as you're watching these, the first half of the season, especially with all of these students and even the students who are not being accused, but you're, you have so many more uh, quote unquote talking heads. Uh, how are you feeling about just the way that the season was positioned and all of these different students? It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to like introduce and get attached and care and all these things. So it's like, you know, we need to touch on them just enough to know what they're about and then kind of move on to to other things. So it was a lot to process. And where they get with it, it makes sense why they did that. And I and I like that it's different from the first season in terms of the perpetrators. But it is, it is a lot to to take in. And it almost makes it like impossible to predict or even follow along, which I don't care about when it comes to these kind of shows. I like take I like just taking the ride, not thinking about it too much and just, you know, enjoying the reveals as they come and not giving it much thought. But if you are somebody like that who wants to talk about it and try to solve the mysteries yourselves, it feels like it's just a lot of information to to dissect and really take in. So we get into episode five, and uh, we have a we have a former janitor that becomes a factor. The janitor is named Hot Janitor, and I I can see it, but I I have to believe that in some way this was influenced by Hot Priest and Fleabag. I don't know if you made that connection. I don't think you have not seen Fleabag, right? No, I haven't. And this is a great example too of just like, do we need this character? Like, there's there's just some of these by the end where it's like, yeah, it's fun, it's funny, but it's when you're when you're throwing all, uh, so many different characters at me, it's like I feel like him and maybe a couple others you could have really just not included. I think you could have just had a janitor. Like, I understand the need to have the janitor play a key role in this to some extent, but just having him as like a hot janitor who all the kids really liked. I, yeah, I could definitely see this maybe being one too many, but he does play an important factor because apparently he quit his job after after having to to clean another another poop incident which also turns into a a vomiting incident as yeah, it's it's pretty mean to 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 turn chocolate into poop and <laughs> to have that to put that in an advent calendar. I mean, they they do get into the religious angle with one of the students specifically but they really don't address like the fact that it's this is a catholic school nearly as much as you would think which i guess is kind of a good thing because i mean i don't think you want to you're not throwing the catholics under the bus so to speak for this but they, they do find those subtle ways to have religion play a factor and an advent calendar is a good one especially uh the advent calendars with with chocolate which i don't know man i don't know if i would ever look at an advent calendar the same um that being said, every year I get an advent calendar with beer, and it's and it's great, Kevin. I love beer advent calendars. You're drinking 25 beers in a row? In, in a row, not 37, 20, 25. That's, that's, that is 
Gosh, that's that's some degenerate behavior, Jerome. I mean, I drink one a day, so it's not it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> Tell your doctor if that's if that's bad or not. I mean, I don't usually like. I'm not drinking every day. I'm not an alcoholic. Mm, I'll, I'll leave it to the public to decide. This has suddenly turned into a very different podcast. This has become uh, uh, the intervention <laughs> podcast. I will say though, like I would never, and I mean never. I think a, a communal. Uh, advent calendar like I've never even heard of that why would you do that you know <laughs> if it's something like I could see it being like a, a, a fun little like office thing with a small team or maybe you're doing like little trinkets or like hey on this day someone's gonna bake a treat and leave it in there I'm like that's whatever but you just doing it in like a, a teacher's office especially when you have the p- potential for pranks or other things I I don't know I, I think that's it's too easy. It's it's just too easy to to do that. So yeah, I wouldn't uh, I would not do that. And this is pre pandemic. We're not even talking post pandemic. You're right. Now that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different set of just not wanting to get sick or whatever else. And I'm sure. I mean, gosh, eating cat shit has to make you sick beyond belief. I have to imagine. Yeah, I mean, just the smell alone will get you, but my God, I just can't even imagine. And I, I will say, by the way, as much as I talk about there being too many characters, the religious kid who I thought was one of the funniest parts of the show. Yeah, I'm surprised that I haven't seen him in more things after this. Like, he's so good. I, I would, he's, like, he nails that specific type of religious person. And yeah, it's just, he's so good. I, he's almost somebody I wish was in the documentary before. Just yeah. because I think it, it's so funny, but it's also a thing where if he's in it too much, does that kill the joke? So I think <laughs> you're really riding a line with that. But I mean, I guess it's always best, as we always say, to leave you wanting more. And it's also funny that he was the one who hit the pinata that exploded with poop over everybody. I mean, yes, absolutely. Uh, so at the end of the episode, uh, they put a camera in Kevin's a locker, which happens to be adjacent to the teacher's lounge they need to figure out who has access and uh they come across uh, an unusual sight as luke carter who is demarcus's friend is seen walking in and out and i will point out that luke carter played by deron horton uh, deron horton would go on to play uh he would be in the dear white people uh, netflix series so he is definitely someone that i recognized and i think it just shows that you know, so many people from this show have uh, have gone on to do bigger and better things. And that is another example. Any any feelings on uh, the role that Lou plays throughout the series? I like him a lot. And I think that is also maybe, you know, it feels like you see that a lot in shows with like an older athlete, like it, not necessarily a high school level athlete. But I think it is very real. I can see a coach or somebody assigning a student like this to be like, we want to make sure we take as much off of this student's plate as humanly possible. So we need some, if he needs to be driven around and that's going to reduce his stress. Great. If we can, you know, have his meals come to him. So he's as, you know, has the nutrients he needs to perform his best. Like we can have someone else do that. I think, you know, when it comes to his involvement and maybe wanting, you know, doing things to steer, DeMarcus in one direction versus another feels a little, you know, correct, like real realistic, I should say, for somebody to do that. Like you get this weird attachment or you want to steer him in a way that benefits yourself rather than just the one of you and him have, you know, him being the one to like take him to. He has to keep his secrets, too, as like especially when it comes to 
injuries and things like that. So it all played to me as very realistic and he did a really good job. Uh, Very much agreed. And as we get into kind of the back half of the season, uh, the final three episodes, episode six, especially uh, does a very good job of kind of focusing on the DeMarcus and Lou relationship and just kind of how, how perilous it can be to be an athlete of that stature and just trying to figure out like what Lou's actual involvement is and uh, some of the interactions that uh, they eventually have with Kevin outside of a convenience store. Uh, I also, uh, the convenience store clerk is also very funny to me and just some of the things that he says and the way that he behaves and how uh, the obfuscation that he puts forth, I think is really good. Especially because it's like what, you are probably on your your patience is the thinnest it possibly can be. So for someone to just loiter or like come in and eat an ice cream and not pay, of course I'm going to ban them or tell them or kick them off the property. Like I don't have, I'm not getting paid enough for this. I probably see enough weird stuff that I don't need to put up with this, these random teens coming in here and messing up stuff. So I, yeah, I thought he, he did a, that, that guy played the role very well. For sure. So uh, one of Lou and Demarcus's teammates, Trevor, who had said one thing about um, the incident earlier, now is coming in and saying he confides to Sam and Peter, and he says that Demarcus and Lou were missing during one of the incidents where uh, poop was put in the shirt guns just before uh, the shit launcher incident, and that raises the possibility of of them kind of working together as as the turd burglars so um, more possibilities a lot more uh, still to come in the, I- even in the next episode as uh, Demarcus and Lou confront Kevin outside of the convenience store and Kevin disavows the documentary at this point and is like I am no longer going to participate and I have to say that after six episodes I think you're thinking like who is who is this one turd burglar going to be and i think they very much frame it as it's going to be one person but i think what impresses me the most about the last two episodes is just the way that they slowly and again within the format of the show still keeping that 30 to 5 to 40 minutes they impressively able to they are impressively able to convince you that nope it's not just one person it is the there. The, it is a group of people who have perpetrated these crimes, and sort of the realization that manipulation becomes a part of this. Um, the fact that you know cell phones are such an important part, and I I think the last two episodes they do about as good of a job as I think you could possibly do to bring such a complicated story together. And again, I'm not sure if the theme if thematically they totally hit it. But, I mean, these these last two episodes feel very different from the f- last two episodes of the first season, I would say. Agreed. The only, like, minor criticism I have of it is I, it, I, I almost wish that you could show some moments where Peter and, uh, oh, I forget the other guy's name who works them. Sam. Peter and Sam showing like a little more growth from what they did in the first show. Like, I almost feel like because they got to the point where they realized, Hey, maybe it was a two person effort to draw the dicks. I feel like they maybe could have gotten a little more quickly to 
what if this was more than one person who perpetrated all these crimes rather than it being so late into the season where they're realizing, you know, the pooper or, or the turd burglar isn't necessarily one person. And maybe there was help with these crimes. I kind of feel like just because they got to the point where they thought it was a two person job by the end of season one, they would have gotten to the point of let's explore this being more than one person a bit earlier in the seat in the series. But even as it plays out on its own, it was done really well. So and yeah, I think the last two episodes play very differently from season one. And I think it needed to be different from season one. Why would I just want to watch the same season again? Um, so I think that was also extremely important for it to to be a di- for the that the outcome to be very different from season one too. So essentially, they find out that because because Peter and Sam received text messages or DMs from the turd burglar while the incident at the convenience store was going on, they essentially figure out, oh my goodness, there is no way that they could be the turd burglar. So eventually, they confront Jenna. And say that she is the turd burglar. She reveals herself to be the one behind the shit launcher incident. Stating that she is blackmailed by a girl named Blake Wheeler. A girl that Jenna met on social media. And there are a lot of flirty text messages that are going back and forth. Um, And Jenna points to Wheeler as kind of the person that is behind all of this. Peter and Sam go to Oregon. So another state to find Blake. To find Brooke. Uh, Brooke is a college student named Abby Samuels, um, whose pictures are used for the fake Wheeler account. And uh, the turd burglar is, in fact, a catfish. And I, I did not realize how much of this season I had forgotten because I had completely forgotten that the catfish angle even played a role in this series. But uh, what a great way to end the penultimate episode with just this idea that not only not only are more people involved but there's like a conspiracy. There's like this weird saw element that may be coming into it. And of course, introducing the idea of a catfish to the series. Yeah, it's it's such a good twist. And you're in suddenly you're like sitting up and paying a bit closer attention to, to what they're saying. And that's when you kind of think back to like, ooh, OK. Uh, and because, you know, at, at some point you get to this and you're like, all right, I'm being a little bit led on. It's probably not going to be Kevin. It's probably not going to be DeMarcus. Like, who is it going to end up being? And I think the way they go with it in the end is fantastic. And that, of course, leads us to the dump, which <laughs> I love the fact that the kids were concerned about being pooped on at first. I thought that was pretty funny. Like, the they're thinking the dump is going to be literal poop. But in this case, it is a metaphor because all of their secrets and pictures and all that stuff uh, are just released into the world and again this is a very real thing that has happened to celebrities a number of times and it's just it's a really tough thing because like on the one hand i think you have people making the argument well you shouldn't be you shouldn't be like taking nudes on your on your phone but regardless like our phones are an important part of who we are they are a direct like they, it, we put who we are into these phones, and in a lot of cases, um, there's some falsity to it. But in a lot of cases, like our true selves are in these phones with the photos and, you know, the Google search histories and even like the shopping histories and all that stuff. And I think what this episode is able to show is just how dark this dark the series is capable of getting, because this isn't just a situation where somebody's car was damaged you're having people's 
uh, reputations being ruined. You have the fact that so many of these people are having to, you know, serve community service or they were possibly uh, expelled. You have a teacher losing their teaching license. Uh, you have another teacher forced to resign. You have uh, Kevin remaining in house in a house arrest for nine months. Uh, you have Demarcus and Lou kind of having their relationships end or have the relationship end. And instead of Demarcus staying on the West Coast, he decides that he's going to go to Villanova University in Pennsylvania and kind of bettering himself. And I have to say, one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is the one where Demarcus is in the car with Peter and Sam. And he's kind of going over everything that was, from his perspective, like everything that went on with Brooke. And I think you really just see his performance come together in a real way. And I think he's pretty great throughout, but I think the fact that he is able to nail not just the comedy, but also nail the emotional impact, that's what impressed me the most. Yes, and I was like, you know, having them go through like, okay, so there's this catfish person, but it's not even her who's doing it. It's someone who stole it off their phone and used that same bit of information to exploit so many different people. And they can get away with it because it's all on social media and there's a bit of shame involved with everybody doing it. Like nobody's going to talk to this, talk to each other about this, really. And it's like, I think it's interesting that it's like, yes, DeMarcus was involved. Yes, Kevin was involved. But I also think it's very interesting because the question of like, when you ask them all, are you the tur burglar? And they say no, they're all kind of telling the truth because they may have done one of the crimes, but nobody did all four. So I thought that was a very interesting thing, too, because, you know, I think the line of questioning is all very interesting. You can say, you know, you can blame them for doing this one. It's like they're blaming DeMarcus for the uh, what he, what the, the pep rally thing. And he and he actually didn't do it. And, you know, they only say that and say we are the turd burglar. And he can honestly say, no, I'm not. And I didn't do that. But that doesn't mean he didn't do one of the other things. Uh, so I found all of that so interesting and how it all gets to to where it does and why why Kevin couldn't confess to to part of it and all of it. Like it made for just a very interesting finale and in how, yeah, it gets into the ugly side with a teacher being involved, um, a girl who's uh, I don't know. It seems like she might be more openly gay or, you know, but half closeted ish in this. And you have an athlete who could be with any girl he wants and he but he can be his real self online so that's more attractive to him and then for Kevin it's easy for him to just as someone of 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 who he is to be drawn in by somebody online especially when you know he feels isolated from his two friends who now seem to be into each other so all of that that the amalgam of everything to me made for such an interesting payoff in the way this all culminated together and I mean it was a very satisfying ending to the show and in this case it is expelled student Grayson Wentz who becomes a phone repair worker and they do just a great job of setting this up at the beginning of the season and they basically they set it and forget it like they set this character up and then kind of forget about him for a number of episodes and just the darkness that he expresses and they reveal him to be a 4chan poster and is one of those people that says that everybody is fake and um, basically hates everybody, probably including himself, let's face it. But he is the one that ultimately is the 
he doesn't directly perpetrate, but he is the one that is manipulating the situation, holding pictures hostage. And in this case, you know, it's not just a situation where he's facing house arrest, uh, but he's arrested and, uh, and put in jail. And that's kind of a dark thing to have happen in a show that in many ways purports to be a comedy. But again, this is a season that is, I think, taking itself more seriously, but it's also taking this the themes that it's talking about uh, a lot more seriously. And um, I think even though there is darkness, I think there is a lot this there's a lot more definitive. There, there is a definitive nature to the ending. We know that Grayson is the one that perpetrated this. We know who did each crime. We know why they did each crime. But also we get some resolution between uh, Kevin and his friends as they kind of become friends again. And I think that one of my favorite things about this episode is the fact that they talk about uh, this generation, that they're, they're the most scrutinized in a lot of ways, and that, in fact, they're not the worst generation, but they're the ones that are kind of on camera the most. And in many ways, I think that is a perfect distillation of what this, show, of, of what this season was trying to do. Agreed. And I think it's almost a little bit ahead of its time just because I don't know that we're going to know the real effects of social media and having cameras on your phone and all of this stuff for another few decades when everything continues to evolve. And we were able to do like psychological studies on adults who from birth till adulthood, that's all they knew. Not people who were late in life or just became a college thing or whatever else, it's going to be so interesting in a few years to see what the real damage of all of this is. Um, and I think it is going to be more damaging than it is beneficial, um, as a whole. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, it's just like any tool, right? You know, on its own, it's, it's very neutral, but I think the ways it's used, there's a lot of wrongdoing with it. And I think there's a lot of psychological harm, um, that, that it does. And I think this like this show, this fiction show does a really good job of touching on those things. But I think we have really only scratched the surface in the real world for what that's all going to look like. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think the themes of this show were were, were tremendous. And I mean, one of the questions you have was, did it did it elevate its game to be able to hit on these scenes properly? And I would say yes, it did. For the most part, I would say it did. I, I don't think that this season in some ways is this clean from episode to episode, but I think that they were really able to tell a story that was less funny. I mean, there, and certainly there were comedic moments, but I don't know about you, but I didn't really laugh during the last episode. And I don't, I don't know necessarily that that was a bad thing, but I definitely found myself not chuckling during episode eight, if, if not at all. No, me neither. But I, there were moments I really liked how when he, um, Peter and and them go to DeMarcus's house and they want to talk to him and it's DeMarcus's father and his friend who say no, but DeMarcus is like, no, I want to talk about this. And he gets to open up in front of the camera and he kills it. Maybe the best uh, scene of the whole season is just his sort of like testimonial about everything that went on in the car with the two of them. And like by the end of it, he's able to kind of laugh at it himself just objectively. And uh, yeah, like it, it really, it really shows you the damage of everybody done where their mindset was at. And it's, it's wild, man. I mean, it is definitely not funny, but it is, um, 
you understand why everybody did it. You understand how they felt they they were backed into a corner to not to be in a position where they couldn't say no. And the one person who did say no, they had their uh, you know it damaged the reputation with the the videos of them in the diaper and stuff being revealed to to everybody. So it's it which to me elevates it because now you have everybody who sees the damage of having stuff like that revealed to the world can do. And so they felt they had no choice but to go along and, and per, you know, and uh, do the crimes of the turd burglar um, because of all that. And so, yeah, not not a lot of laughs in that last episode, but just a, a, a strong season finale in general. If Grayson had gone after Kevin, Chloe, and Tanner for their band specifically and their music, would Grayson be justified in doing so? Probably yes. <laughs> that that then I would have been on Grayson's side at that point because their music sounds <laughs> horrendous. By it's not. It's not for us. Let's put it. Let's put it that gently. Yeah, let's uh, let's yeah, let's let's just let's just say that they, um, they want they want to get into bar mitzvah season. I mean, I can imagine that being a pretty good racket, for sure. <laughs> uh, in this case, did it matter who perpetrated the crime? And for last season, we said, no, not really. I feel like it's season two. I feel like it mattered a lot more. Yes, agreed. And I think part of that is because it didn't matter in season one. If it never matters who did the crime and all of these things, then what are we even here for? But I think it, it absolutely mattered here uh, who did it, for sure. And I think we both agreed that Kevin McLean's presence kind of weakened the series. Kevin, we have a Kevin weakening a show. What a shock. I don't know. See, weakening, I feel, is a little bit of a harsher term than. Fair enough. I guess you needed somebody to start as a scapegoat. And I think the way that he is, like, he had to be different than. Oh, I can't already remember the main guy in um, season one. Who was accused of I mean, I think the biggest problem is that I, I don't know if it's the character, it's more the performance for me sure. that that gets me. And it just doesn't it feels like it's so different from the other characters and the other performances that I think that's one of the main reasons. Um, and I think Dylan in season one, as played by Jimmy Tatro, like I just think that he is able to balance this, like he could be guilty. But he's also likable. He's a goofball. He's not very smart. But I just think that he nails that performance so well. And the fact that this one isn't nearly as good. And again, I think the rest of the performances in this season are still really good. But his just stands out because I don't think it works. I don't know that I'd go that far that it doesn't work. I think they needed to make it very different from Dylan, the character. And this person who is like... Such, such in a weird spot, like socially, that they put on an affectation. They try to pretend they're better than everybody else is like a shield to guard their own feelings rings true in some ways, especially when you have like the people who were friends with them before this change. And now they feel like this weird thing of like being associated with them makes you a weirdo, too. But it also means that like you're being disloyal to someone who was a friend before high school. And there's weird, like, social repercussions to that, which is why, like, he doesn't get it. And you see that with Chloe, where it's like, hey, don't invite Kevin to this. Don't invite Kevin to this. Because she was still friends with him and would. And then people have to be explicit about, like, yeah, but we don't like that guy. And then she has to make a choice. So that Kevin had and, – and I I feel like that is true 
to life for high school stuff. Even if his performance, it doesn't hit that. Like that person I feel does exist in some ways. See, I like the fact that he's unlikable. I think that actually works. I think it's more just specifically like the way that he talks in the performance itself. I think the character is great on paper because I do think you want to make them different from Dylan. Um, so yeah, I, th- I just think that that's kind of where I'm at with, with his character, but still, I think season two overall is, is a huge success. And we, unfortunately, we're never going to know the ratings until, unless the strikes resolve and we get like actual viewership numbers, but American Vandal season two was very well regarded just as season one was critically. And unfortunately, because although Netflix puts the show out, it does not have ownership stakes. So that is the reason that American Vandal was canceled after season two, because Netflix does not have sole ownership rights. And I don't know. Um, I know, I, I think I know where you're leaning, but what are your feelings? Was this canceled too soon? I'm sort of in the middle here. I don't think it was canceled too soon in terms of the the story is resolved. So the good news is, is the show. So you're saying they finished the stories. They finished the stories. But that's the beauty. That's the beauty of having self-contained seasons, too, is you can watch it. It's done in and it's it's self-contained. So you don't have to you don't have these lingering story threads that aren't tied up. I do. I think there was room for more. I don't know. I feel like maybe they could have gone another season. But where do you go from here? Like, I think it also it might have been interesting if you have this dichotomy between or like Peter wants to continue being like a documentarian or vi- and his partner wants to get into like actual law enforcement and vice versa. And you kind of have that push and pull. And then the documentarian has to find somebody else. But that dynamic changes. Maybe you could have done something with that, but I don't know how much steam the show had beyond maybe one more season. I think both seasons were done really well, but just with the backdrop of the documentarians, maybe, maybe they pass it on that, that skill. Maybe you have somebody who's influenced by them who does something in that regard, but then how is it a Netflix show if we're living in that reality? You know, there's, there's just so many kind of questions that I would have had with how they would have continued on that. I'm, I'm, I'm torn on whether it was canceled too soon or not. Uh, I'll but ultimately say, no, it wasn't. I'm going to say yes. And I think this is, the, this is the kind of show where maybe you don't do a season every year. Maybe you do a season every two or three years and you let things build up and you, you really take the time I can't imagine this is a super expensive show because there's it's not like there's a lot of CGI. Oh, by the way, I just want to point out that one of my favorite small moments is they talk about upgrading from Vimeo to Netflix. And to do that, they show the hand job and that got a great, that <laughs> got a laugh out of me big time. Huge. Yeah. Like just how the, the production and everything goes up <laughs> when it gets to Netflix was phenomenal. I, I just think this is the kind of show where if you do this once every two or three years, I think you could there's there's so, the thing is there's so many different kinds of true crime documentaries and it it only continues to increase the level. I just think this is the kind of show where you could I mean you could do a cult type thing, you could do a missing person. And again, I don't know I I don't know that you have to do like seven seasons of these, but if you do like one season every couple of years. I think this. I think this is the kind of show that could live in perpetuity because I know uh, a show like Documentary Now, like they don't do a season 
they don't do a season every year, but they'll come together and they'll do like a couple of parodies or homages and and that's fine. Like that's that's in the in an ideal world, that's what I would love to see is this this show just kind of existing and you know, maybe you go two years without it, but then it pops up and you're you're excited to see what they're putting forth. The one thing that I that I think hurts the show in terms of the way it's a documentary is like I would have really loved to know like what happened with with Sam and Gabby, like that relationship. Not they date or anything, but just like how did their friendship continue forward after this? And but that's not what the documentary is about. But I also get left a little bit cold wondering, like, I would have loved to seen how some of those relationships in season one happened. Um, You know, that would have been a fun like you know, a one year later, like one off episode of like, where are they now? Or how are things changed with them? I think that would have been a fun thing to do with, uh, do something like that. And you give American Vandal that before it goes away, because that to me is the stuff that I miss the most, uh, more than anything else. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And yeah, unfortunately we will probably not, uh, be getting a season three. I do want to point out that these same, the same people, behind this show they went on to do another type of mockumentary style uh they did a one season show called players on paramount plus i don't even know if it's still on the service but it's about e uh like gaming professionally like video game pro- video gamers and yeah. i also that that show is also really good i you know i went in not thinking I was going to like it, but I really like these first two seasons. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. And in the end, I liked it. Maybe not as much as American Vandal, but very, very close. It's still really good. So if Players is on Paramount Plus, you can also check that out as well. Even if you're not interested in e-gaming, even if you know nothing about it, it you could still get into it a lot. See, but I feel like they would do a really good job of making fun of those kind of people. They do. They, you will be shocked. I would say it is very much done in the style of the Last Dance. That's what I'll say. Is there any dabbing? Uh, maybe. It's been a while since I've walked. I feel like that or flossing or some other of that stuff. There's definitely flossing. I feel like Um, (laughs) there has to be with Fortnite and all that stuff. That sounds interesting, and it does look like it's still on Paramount Plus, which I don't have because I don't. I can't afford twelve services, Jerome. I mean, nobody can afford 12 services, but when you are making your way through Star Trek, like I am, then Paramount Plus is necessary because that's how I want to watch Star Trek. I actually heard anyway, the last season of Picard was great, weirdly. I, like the yeah, first I two seasons getting, were not good. I will be getting to Picard shortly because I'm on the last season of The Next Generation. Um, so yeah, I'm making my way through Star Trek, but that that's a whole other conversation. So good. Yeah, you're, Star Trek is a treat, and it's very funny to me that like, there was a time like before the special editions of Star Wars came out, there was like nothing with Star Wars and it was all about Star Trek. Take me back, Jerome. <laughs> we have to go back. We have to go back. Hey, from broadcast to death, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So so I'm kind of surprised at the show that we are doing next month because I, I didn't know. Like, I know Kevin and serial killers and, like, true crime, so I'm, I know that that's not always his thing. But Kevin has – I believe you've been doing kind of a run of, like, David Finch, David Fincher movies, and you brought up that you are interested in watching and discussing the first uh, – the two seasons of Mindhunter that are on Netflix. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? 
well, you can thank another podcast, the Doughboys. They their Patreon episodes for the month of May. They called they titled the name of the month Mank. Uh, because they are fans of David Fincher. They did Gone Girl back in February as like a Valentine's Day episode kind of thing, and they loved it, and they're like, man, we just want to watch more David Fincher stuff. So they went through and they did some of his movies, and then they also watched the pilot of Mindhunter, because another one of their Patreon shows they call the pilot program where they'll watch a pilot of like a well-known show, like they did Cheers and some other things, and their producer loves Mindhunter, like she's watched it a few times. So I watched the first episode of Mindhunter and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, I, I need an excuse to watch this. And I saw it was only two seasons, but that doesn't mean it was canceled too soon. Maybe it was only written to be two seasons or something like that. So I brought it to your attention because I, I, I feel like you either had watched it or would have known. And I said, hey, is this a show that would constitute as being canceled too soon? And you said, yes. And they said, I said, great, let's cover it. So here we are next month in August, we get a. I now have the excuse to watch the two seasons of Mindhunter and discuss them. And we are doing both seasons in an episode per, uh, I think that was your judgment call. And I trust your judgment. Yeah. I feel like the first, the, the two seasons, they, there, there is some separation, but I think a lot of the thematic elements are, are very similar. And I, I will say that the show is, is probably going to be one of the darkest that we've ever talked about. And that is because again, we're talking about serial killers and some of the early research that went into that. But I would strongly recommend that if you have not watched Mindhunter, obviously you should do so, but I think it would be helpful uh, to do a little bit of reading, which I know Kevin hates, but I think it'd be helpful to to look up a couple of things. One uh, would be uh, the BTK killer. I think that would be helpful to understand especially some of the background of Mindhunter. And here's something like to look up, the Atlanta child murders. Uh, that is also, especially when Kevin and I get into season two, that is going to be really helpful to uh, perhaps have some background. There is a docu-series about uh, the Atlanta child murders that is, I believe, on Max. Uh, so definitely check that out if you get a chance. But uh, it is worth knowing a little bit about the about those two things going into the season and if you want to look up some of the individual killers like i don't think i need to tell anyone to look up charles manson i feel like people know who he is um and there's other serial killers but you don't necessarily need to know what they did but understanding the process of the atlanta child murderers might help you understand season two of mindhunter more i'm gonna leave it to you to email or text me those things to read and i guess i'll do that Yes, I will. I will definitely find a couple things for you for you to read. And we can leave uh, them in the show notes too when we post that. Absolutely. So, uh, Kevin, anything else before we go? Well, uh, my website for wrestling reviews is kevin-ford.com, not .net. So, thanks for getting that wrong at the beginning of the episode. I, you know, I have a lot of. We have so many plugs, so many plugs. Yeah, and you need to get all of them correct. Well, why don't? How about you host from now on? Is that is that what you want to do? Well, maybe maybe after Mindhunter. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for Kevin, my name is Jerome. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next month. If there's anything to take away from these two seasons of American Vandal, it's that sometimes shit happens. <laughs>